All right. Hey, let's open our Bibles to 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 5. We got through most of chapter 5 last week and today, Lord willing, Lord willing, we'll get through chapter 5 and we'll do 6, 7, and 8. We'll just see how far we get. That's awfully ambitious. But, uh, yeah, I hear Tom says, yeah. <laughs> I always used to tease Pastor Jeff, you know, he would have these grandiose plans, you know, and we all do. Every pastor has plans to get through something, and then something happens uh, up here that if, you, if you're not, if you haven't taught and, and taught a while, and, and, and especially if you, you know, we just need to be led by the Spirit of God, but sometimes things happen up here that you just didn't plan, and so you, sometimes you just have to go with it because it's important to do that. But uh, last week, you know, as we've been going through this, and I don't need to rehash a great deal, we know we're going through a bunch of genealogical records, and the point of these, obviously, it's written from a priestly point of view, and you remember that Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, is not concerning, really, the northern ten tribes. You won't hear the kings uh, of the northern ten tribes in First and Second Chronicles, other than by relating to some event, but they're, they're, it's really not about the northern ten tribes at all. It's all about Judah. And why Judah? We've been talking about it for a long time, simply because it's from the line of Judah that God had made promises uh, to, um, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and certainly Jacob on his deathbed made promises and, and prophesied over his son Judah that the scepter would not depart from him, nor, were, nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh comes. And obviously these are all references, uh, messianic references to Jesus Christ. And certainly we know that through Judah came King David. And then from King David in the first century, we know that uh, Mary and Joseph were both, both from the line of David. But Joseph had nothing to do with it, but Mary was the bloodline through which Jesus would come, and she was from the line of Judah. And so all of this, the priests, um, because Ezra, who we believe compiled all of this information for us, he's only concerned about one thing. He's concerned about the the priestly ministry because it's entangled, isn't it, with Judah? Because at at the center of Judah is what? Jerusalem. At the center of Jerusalem is what? The temple. The temple was the very place that they would worship, and that was the center of their culture of their whole life. And so the the tribe of Judah and Levi, their destinies, their hearts were really intertwined together. So the chronicler, who we believe is Ezra, all he's concerned about is the priests and their their office and what they do, and then Judah, the line of kings of Judah, meaning the Davidic dynasty from David all the way down through Zedekiah before they'd be taken into captivity uh, to Babylon. And so I just want to share a couple of things about genealogies uh, that I think is important to know. Some genealogies in the Bible are complete, and others may be missing certain individuals, or there might even be sparing spelling variants. Okay, don't let that throw you. And if you have a good um, study Bible or you have a good uh, commentary, um, you know, a lot of times they'll bring these things out. Spelling variations, they happen all the time. And even sometimes within those genealogies, there may be um, uh, incomplete passages 
And it doesn't mean that they're in error because sometimes the, the person who is writing the genealogy, depending upon their, their thought and what, what they're really getting at, they may, they may leave out a handful or a, a group of men, but anybody knows who really studies those kinds of things. As soon, and here's an example. You know, as you go through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we've heard their names so much. If somebody said Abraham and then Jacob, and then you, you would know that obviously Isaac was in the middle, right? And, and so you get the point. So uh, they were very familiar with genealogies. And so sometimes, depending on the one who was writing and the Spirit of God leading them, they might give the first part of the genealogy and everyone's like, okay, I know where you're going. I know whose line you're talking about. There's no need to list them all. And sometimes they are listed incomplete, listed completely, and other times there's a few omissions here and there. But don't let that throw you. Because you'll compare those genealogies, say, with other genealogies, and like, say, the book of X, or Genesis, excuse me, and you may notice some minor differences. Don't let that throw you. Just follow the line. Some, at some point, it picks back up again, and then you can follow it again. Does everybody follow? So, um, so that's something to be aware of. But let's pick up in verse 23 of First Chronicles chapter 5. That's where we left off, and it was... We're going through the, the different tribes of Israel, and not all of them are going to be mentioned. And when we get to the end of chapter, I think it's, uh, let's see here, when we get to the end of chapter 8, um, see if you can tell me what two tribes weren't mentioned <laughs> in this whole thing. And I don't really have an answer as to why I got some presumptions, but that's all. But again, let's look at verse 23 in First Chronicles 5. Notice it's, it's about the family of Manasseh. Now, Manasseh, this is the east side. If you, in your, if you have a King James Bible, it actually gives the heading that it's the east side. So if you were looking at a map of Israel, and I forgot to uh, put some slides together for you tonight, that would have made it a little easier for you to, under, you know, to see visually. But the east side, obviously, is speaking of the east side of the Jordan River. So if you're looking at a map of Israel, just divide the country in half where the Jordan River is. And on the east side, like if you're a map, is right here, on the east side is uh, the west, or I'm sorry, the east side of Manasseh. And then Manasseh was also, their other side of their tribe was on the west side. And, um, and so let's look at that. So verse 23. Now, what we're going to do tonight, we're going to cover hopefully a lot of ground. I'm not going to read every single name. Uh, we're going to go through, and as we get into where there's... Uh, you know, fathers begetting sons, and those sons begetting sons, and those sons. I'm just going to read the first couple, and then I'm just going to say, now let's skip down to a verse, and let's keep going, because I don't want to um, have you endure my mispronouncing of all those names. But we're going to stop at a few names, because they are uh, somewhat significant, I think, or at least worth mentioning. So verse 23, So the children of the half-tribe of Manasseh dwelt in the land, and their numbers increased from Bashan, which is in the northeastern part of Israel, from Bashan to Baal Hermon. And Baal Hermon, uh, that is to say, it says right here, Sanir or Mount Hermon. So here we get three different names for Mount Hermon. Uh, many don't know that it's, it was called Baal Hermon. It was called Mount Sanir or Mount Hermon as we know it. And we know that this is the highest mountain in Israel and is approximately 9,232 9, feet above sea level. 
And just as a way of um, bridging some gap here between that and the New Testament, uh, what we've been looking at in Matthew, we believe that Jesus was transfigured on this mountain. He was up in that area around the time of the transfiguration, which we will look at this Sunday. And I just mention that because it's, uh, it's useful trivia. <laughs> so, verse 24, These were the heads of their fathers, houses, Ephor and Ishi and Eliel and Azrael, Jeremiah, not Jeremiah the prophet, uh, Hodaviah and Jadiel. They were mighty men of valor, famous men, and heads of their fathers' houses. And notice, and they were unfaithful to the God of their fathers. Unfaithful, not faithful. And they played the harlot after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. Now, you might want to put in the margin of your Bibles off to the side of this verse, Numbers chapter 32. And you can read all about that, uh, what, why they were considered unfaithful. Uh, they desired, if you remember, right before... Uh, Joshua is going to lead them over into the promised land, going over the Jordan, going westward. And these three tribes, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, the one that we're looking at right here, they decided that they didn't want to go into the promised land. That the land over here, because remember, all of Israel conquered everything in that, in the, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So they did this collectively, and now these guys, these tribes, want to stay there because the land is good for farming because they got a lot of cattle. And they're like, you know what, we don't need to go over to the promised land. We're happy and content over here. And so Moses was angry, but he went to the Lord, and the Lord basically told him, if, they want, if that's where they want to settle, if that's what they want. Notice that. God didn't force them. Is that, is that what you want? Do you want the second best? I, want, I really want you to be in the promised land, because that's the land of promise. But you want to be outside the land of promise. Think about that. So they made a conscious decision to stay out, and, and it was all for the practical reasons. You know, we have a lot of cattle. There's great land over here. Why go any further? All the land is conquered now. All the enemies are gone. We've already conquered Og, king of Bashan, and, and all these other uh, kings in the area. We'll just stay here. And, and, and Moses, after speaking with the Lord, God told him, look, if you guys are going to stay over here, then you need to come over. You can, you can build some things and have your family stay here, but the men need to come over with the other men from the other tribes and help deliver them from their enemies. And then once the land is conquered, then you guys can go back east across the Jordan River and inhabit the places and have, you know, enjoy your life, right? And so that's what happened. But in the process of doing that, they also got ensnared in idolatry. And that's what happens when you live outside of the promise. When you live outside of God's best for your life, you're really treading on thin ice. And it doesn't take much. And trust me, the enemy will tempt you. When you are outside of God's will, when you're outside of the camp, when you're outside of his promises... It's never going to go well for you. You may find yourself doing really well for a short period of time, and, and, and your flesh and your mind will convince you, oh, I did the right thing. See, there's no problem here. Why are these guys so upset? Why is God upset that we chose this other side? And little do they know that little by little, little by little, they're going to compromise, compromise, and compromise to the point where they're not distinguishable from the other nations around them who are engrossed in idolatry. And see, that is the problem. So verse 26, so the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pool, 
king of Assyria, that is, his, his name was Pul before he ascended the throne, but then his name changed to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria. And notice, he carried the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh into captivity. He took them to Hala, Habor, Hara, and the river of Gozan to this day. And so, uh, and this is interesting because of... Uh, of the promise of not going into the promised land with the rest of them. You know, they were the first ones to be taken captive before the rest of Israel, the northern ten tribes, before they would go into captivity. These guys over on the eastern side got easily plucked off. They were literally like sitting ducks when the Assyrians went, and they just picked them off. They were sitting ducks. Why? Because there was a river. There was a very natural uh, barrier between them and their brothers over here on the western shores of the Jordan River. And when the Jordan River is running and it's at full swing, it is not something to be messed with. You can't just, it's not a little stream that you can just walk across. The thing is wide and it's raging at certain times. And so there's a barrier here. They've separated themselves. There's a natural barrier between them and their brothers. They were sitting ducks. And the enemy loves to find Christians and find people who are, have separated themselves. Have you separated yourself from God? Have you separated yourself from something that you know he's called you to do, and instead you've made your own decision? Well, I'm gonna, I think I'm experienced enough, I've lived life enough, I'm going to do this, and it's worked for me before, and I'm going to do it. And the Lord is not going to, you know, he may throw some roadblocks in your way, but if you're obstinate enough, if you're stubborn enough, he will let you. Isn't that dangerous? The human will is one of the worst things. <laughs> I often wished I didn't have a free will. I'm glad I do, but I don't like it. I, I like a free will when I'm doing it in accordance to God's will. And I, and I follow in line with him, and he's like, very good, Kellogg. For once, you got it right. But I don't want to go off and do my own thing. It, it, it never turns out well. So let's look at First Chronicles chapter 6. It's the family of Levi. Now, because the lives and the ministry of the Levites was central in Jerusalem, as I've already said, and specifically on the Temple Mount, they were given ample space here in the genealogies of the 12 tribes because of their, uh, their, their, their service was right there at the center of Judah and uh, center of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. So in verses 1 through 15, I'm not going to read all these names, it gives the genealogy of Levi through Kohath and then through Amram and then that brings us to Aaron and the reason for this is to show us the genealogy of the priestly line of Aaron and so the very beginning verse it says the sons of Levi were Gershon and Kohath and Merari and the sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron and Uziel and the children of Amram notice were Aaron Aaron was the oldest, and then Moses, his brother, and Miriam, his sister, remember? And the sons of Aaron were Nadab, and Abihu, and Eleazar, and Ithamar. And Eleazar, notice, instead of focusing on uh, any other sons, it goes right to Eleazar. Why Eleazar? Well, we know that Nadab and Abihu were killed by God because they offered strange fire before the Lord. They were supposed to do a certain thing in a certain way, and they decided it's not good enough. You know, there's a funny thing about ministry. 
You know, when there's a, a right way to do things and God has told you to do a certain thing, and just be faithful in that thing. After you do it for so many years, for so many times, the 100th, the 300th, the 400th, 500th, 500th time you've done it, you know, after a while, you're like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this so long. I just, you know, it's like when you want seasoning on a steak, you know, and there's a temptation to just kick it up a notch. Let's add a little something for the people. And don't you dare do it. Stay the course. Do the thing that God has said and don't deviate from it because the blessing is in doing what he said, not in what I think might be good. Especially if people are nodding off. I'm not going to come up here and do a dance. I'm not going to tamp dance and give you a bunch of jokes. Nobody should do that. Just teach the word of God. The word of God is wonderful. And I love it. Do you love the word of God? The more I learn about it, the more I study it, the more I fall in love with it. And that's just the truth of, of everything, isn't it? The more you stay away from it, the colder your heart gets. And when you find yourself getting cold, all that means is you've got to force yourself to get back in the line again. Remember, stay in the old paths. Isn't that what Jeremiah said? Stay in the old paths. Don't look for all the new stuff that all churches are doing and getting involved in this and that. And they're, they're doing this and doing that, man. They got the smoke machine, the fogger, and the lights, man. And the, the guitar player's like, you know, do, you know having fun. And, and there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But when things get out of hand, it becomes all of a sudden a concert rather than a worship service. And there's a spirit about it, and you know it when it happens. If you're discerning, and that's what we need in the church today is great discernment. In worship services, when pastors are speaking, is it all about them? Is he, is, he, is he talking about himself all the time and just a little bit in the Word, but then all my experiences? There's nothing wrong with bringing an experience or something to, to you know, bring some clarity to something or to give an example here and there, but is it all about them? Is the worship team, is, is it all about them? Is it all about the, the lights and the smoke and how you feel? Do you feel... You know, people come to church and they're like, you know, if I don't feel it, it's like, well, this has nothing to do with you. We get this confusion in our minds thinking that worship is about us or how I, how I respond to it. No, you, you need to worship God. It's not about you at all. It's not about us. Now, I love to worship and I love to sing, and there is an emotional element to it, and it does affect you, and there's nothing wrong with that either. When I see the Jews worship, it is a beautiful thing. I've said this story before, but we were over in Israel, and I remember seeing a bar mitzvah, and we just happened to be in the, in the um, old city in Jerusalem, near the Temple Mount, when there was a, a bar mitzvah happening. And they had this, all the family, all the family, the old women, the young, the old men, and they're just, they got the guy up on their shoulder, and they're dancing, they're singing. And i got to be honest with you, I actually had tears coming out of my eyes, because I thought to myself, man... The church, we need that. The joy, you know. I need that joy. Regardless of what I'm singing, I need that joy like they have. And it was so beautiful. And it was so innocent and pure. But it was a good thing. But Nadab and Abihu, they had different plans. And God struck them. He, he killed them. God killed them. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? It probably ought to. <laughs> I don't want to be killed by God. I don't think he's killing people anymore, not in the sense of this, but we live in an age of grace. But he was serious. 
He made them accountable, and they were supposed to do it. But notice how Nadab and Abihu now are, and, 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 and Ithamar are out of the picture. Now it picks up in verse 4 with Eleazar, because now he would be the next in line. So Eleazar begat Phinehas, and Phinehas begat Abishu. And again, notice in verse 4, it begins with Eleazar. And so it's going to continue going on here. So let's skip down to verse uh, 16, because it lists a lot of names here. But notice what it says in verse 16, through 19 actually. It lists again the sons and the grandsons of Levi. It says, the sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon. And it only lists two of the names. Libni and Shimei, and the sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, which we've already heard previously. And then the sons of Merari were Mali and Mushai. Now these are the families of the Levites according to their fathers. And of Gershon were Libni his son, and Jahath his son, and Zima his son, and Joah his son, Ido his son, Zerah his son, and Jethareai his son. And the sons of Kohath were Aminadab which um, you may be curious because we just read that the sons of Kohath uh, above and Aminadab, actually um, another name for him is Izhar. So you'll see his name in verse 2 and verse 18 of this chapter. So right here when it says the sons of Kohath were Aminadab, it's also Izhar. Okay, so these are just two different names, but it's the same fellow that we're speaking of. And then his son, Korah, his son, and Aser, his son. Now, it continues to go on, and let's go ahead and skip down to verse 27 uh, for one name that's really um, interesting to us, and you'll understand why. And then it says, Eliab, his son, and Jehoram, his son, and Elkanah, his son. And the sons of Samuel were Joel, the firstborn, and Abijah, the second. So Elkanah is the father of Samuel, right? Samuel the prophet. You remember in, um, so Samuel was the product of, uh, Elkanah and Hannah, who was barren. And 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of of Joroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Now this is interesting because he's actually a Levite, but he's living in Ephraim. So he's called an Ephraimite, but he's really a Levite, and he's really a priest. And so as we go, uh, he was a Levite by lineage, but an Ephraimite by residence, meaning that he lived in the area given to the tribe of Ephraim. So because Samuel served in the tabernacle, um, with Eli the priest, which we've already read in First Samuel. Obviously, Samuel couldn't do that unless he was a Levite as well. And of course he is, because Elkanah, his father, is also a Levite. And that's the way only the Levites were allowed to serve in that capacity. So Samuel's father, Elkanah, was in direct lineage with Levi. <clears throat> and we're going to see that as we get into verses 33 through 38. But let's go on to verse 29 here. It says, The sons of Merari were Mali, Libni his son, Shimei his son, Uzzah his son, Shimei his son, Haggai his son, and Asaiah his son. And now notice in this next section it says, Musicians... In the house of the Lord. If you have a, King, a new King James Bible, it has that designation over this section. 
And um, the thing we have to remember is that the work of the sacrifices and the tending to the temple and its services obviously was very important. But music was very important. And that is why music plays a significant role in our services. Worshiping God and song. It's good for us to do that. To worship Him with songs. So the songs are just a tool, a mechanism that we can use to worship Him. And we know that there's more than one way to worship God. You can worship God by giving of your time, certainly giving of your resources financially and tithing, which we all should do. You know, and these are things that we do as a sacrifice to Him. We do it because He is worthy of all that He has given to us. And isn't it wonderful to serve the Lord? It may not be the most exciting thing. Maybe the thing that you serve the Lord with is maybe you wash the tables. You know, like in this fellowship, there, there's, there's individuals in this fellowship who like to be unnamed, and they're the ones who do the grunt work. They, they come in every Tuesday, and they're cleaning all of the bathrooms. They're vacuuming all the floors, and they love to do it. And I could tell you who their names were, but I think they would appreciate not being known. And actually, I do know that. They do it, and they're happy to do it. It's something they can do, so they do it. And, you know, and that's how easy it is sometimes. And not everybody has the, you know, the, you know, the, the fancy things. I think when we get to heaven, those people who have just been faithful every single week, just doing the small things that nobody else wants to do, those people are going to get the biggest rewards. As they stand before the Bema Seat Judgment, the Lord is going to say, you know what? You didn't want anybody to know. You could care less that anybody know, anyone would want to know, but I'm going to make sure that everyone in heaven knows and will celebrate you and rewards will be given. And then it'll be a big deal. The rewards of God are better than any accolades or thanks or attaboys that men can do. May we all get rewards that are great in heaven and not a single one on the earth. I could care less about rewards down here. Seriously, I'd rather, you know, if there's somehow I can just say, Lord, whatever I do, just make, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm doing it for the right heart, doing it with the right, for the right reasons, with the right motive. That's all I want. But notice it, it, these musicians in the house of the Lord, and we're just going to go through a few of this. So it says, Now these are the men, verse 31, whom David appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest. Because until that time, remember, it was just in a tabernacle that Moses had made in the desert. They wandered around in the desert for 40 years with a, uh, a structure that was temporary that was movable it was mobile they could take it down they had all the priests everybody had their thing to do and they would take it down and finally when the ark would come to rest in jerusalem david would build a new or he would seek to build a new house for the lord but you know the story the history not the story god says david you can't do it your son will do it he can build me a house and so david's like well if i can't build a house I'm going to make sure my son's got the blueprint, God. You give me the blueprint, and I'm going to store up all the materials so that when he's old enough, when Solomon gets old enough, I'm going to hand him the blueprint, I'm going to hand him all the money, and I'm going to have all these people to support you. And Solomon, you get it done. And he did. He did. 
And it was one of the wonders of the world. Beautiful structure. So they were ministering with music, notice, before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of meeting, until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they served, notice, in their office according to their order. Notice that they all served with music. These certain individuals of the Levites, only the Levites, a certain portion of them were designated for worshiping with music. Others were for the, the things of the sacrifices the, on the altar. And, and others, their job was just the articles in the holy of holies in the, in the, in the, or in the um, holy place. They were to minister by their order. Notice that there was an order and teams of musicians that would play in their rotation according to David. And these are the ones, verse 33, who ministered with their sons. Of the sons of the Kohathites were He-Man the singer. How'd you like to have a name like that? That's a macho kind of guy. That's a macho kind of name, at least in English. He-Man. Yes, I am He-Man. He's got that big golden necklace, you know. I'm sure he was the most humble man, and I'm totally tearing his character apart. But his name was He-Man. The singer, he was a gifted singer. I would have loved to hear this man's voice. The son of Joel, the son of Samuel. Do you notice that? That's, that's Samuel's grandson. His name was He-Man. He would actually be in the temple, and he had a fantastic and beautiful voice, and God used him. And so from verse 33 down through verse 38 is the lineage from Haman, or He-Man, sorry, the singer, Samuel's grandson, going all the way back to Israel, or going all the way back to Jacob. So let's skip to verse 39, because then it just says, the son of Elkanah, the son of Johan, the son of El, and it goes down through um, He-Man's line, all the way down to verse 38, where it says, the son of Levi, and then the son of Israel. And then in verse 39, it says, and his brother Asaph, who stood at his right hand was Asaph, the son of Berechiah, the son of Shimei. So this other brother that he has and his brother Asaph, this is speaking of He-Man's brother whose name was Asaph. So Asaph was the brother or possibly actually the cousin of He-Man. In verse 33, you can see that. And they also had another brother um, named Jeduthun, from who were the musicians under King David. And you might want to just write in your margin of your Bible next to verse 39, uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 25, verses 1 through 7, because that actually shows you the lineage of He-Man, that he had Jeduthun, this other brother, and also Asaph. So these evidently were more like cousins. and They would be considered brothers, you know, um, but they were, I believe they were cousins. So now verses 39 through 43 uh, was the, um, is the Asaph, is Asaph's lineage through Gershon, uh, the son of Levi. So let's skip now to verse 44. And it says, speaking of these sons, the son of Gershon, the son of Levi, verse 43. Verse 44 says, their brethren, the sons of Merari, on the left hand were Ethan, the son of Kishai, the son of Abdi, the son of Maluk. And so the sons of Merari are listed from verses 44 through 47, going all the way back to Levi, the son of Jacob, or Israel. 
And so let's go down to verse 48 now. And because uh, it talks about the son of Merari and then finally the son of Levi. And then in verse 48 it says, And their brethren, the Levites, were appointed to every kind of service of the tabernacle of the house of God. Notice, all these men, you know, um, Gershon and Kohath and Merari, they were all designated with different jobs and different functions within the tabernacle. Verse 49, and then finally we get down to the family of Aaron, a very specific uh, strain of the tribe of Levi. But Aaron and his sons offered sacrifices on the altar of burnt offering and on the altar of incense for all the work of the most holy place. So these guys had the wonderful privilege of being right into the holy place and the holy of holies. I mean, this is a, a wonderful group of men, a very privileged group of men. And you notice that it doesn't seem like anybody's fighting. You know, all, the, all these Levites, and they have all of these jobs and things that they need to do, and you don't hear of anybody. Why do you get to go in and offer blood, you know, once a year, you know, on the, on the mercy seat? What about me? You're not better than I am. I mean, you don't see them sticking out their chest and getting all uptight. They're just like, you know what? <coughs> Excuse me. I'm glad to serve. And there's something about that. You know, God has a, he, he appoints certain individuals. It doesn't mean that they're better than anybody else. Somebody's got to do this. Somebody's got to do that. And you know, for us to discern what that is and do it with all of our heart and not compare ourselves with others. Why do you get to, you know, teach a Bible study? And I got, I'm cleaning the toilets. Well, I cleaned the toilets hundreds of times. I'm not afraid to clean a toilet. <laughs> That's what God called me to do. I did it. And I did do it. And God called me to something different. And hopefully I can do that. And these guys had their jobs. And they were very happy to do whatever it was that God had them do. And that's really wonderful when the body of Christ can come together. And we can just work like that together. And it's beautiful when it happens. And it happens here all the time. It happens here every service, actually. And it's really wonderful to see. So notice that verse 31 through 48 that we've already looked at were the list of the musicians. And now verses 49 through 53 lists Aaron and his sons. And again, they offered sacrifices on the altar of burnt offering and the altar of incense, which was in the holy place and the most holy place. That was their job to do. Now verse 50, it says, Now these were the sons of Aaron, Eleazar his son, Phinehas his son, and Abishai his son. Notice, um, even though Aaron had four sons, uh, and verse 3 tells us that, Nadab and Abihu, uh, as we already have looked at, they were killed by the Lord because of their infraction. And now Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, they are the third and the fourth sons, but now the lineage goes to Eleazar because he is the next in line. He's the next eldest son. And so now that Nadab and Abihu are dead, Eleazar is the one in line, and he is going to, um, this next part is going to take us through, uh, he's going to be the next in line of Aaron through Ahimaaz, who was uh, one of the priests at the time when King David was um, in, uh, on the throne. And so verse 51, Bukai, his son, Uzai, his son, Zerahiah, his son, 
Merioth, his son, Amariah, his son, Ahitub, his son, Zadok, his son, and Ahimez, his son. And these were, this Zadok and Ahimez, these were in David's reign. And we've already looked at them in First and Second Kings and also in Samuel. We looked at the lives of these two men and how they were instrumental in David's life. And when David was being hunted by his own son, um, you know, these men were part of David's, they were loyal to David. And um, you can read about them. We've already read all of that before. So now when we get into the next section, it talks about the dwelling place of the Levites. Now the Levites, you recall when, um, when Joshua brought the children of Israel into the land, when they crossed westward into the, uh, I'm sorry, I'm pointing, uh, if you're looking at a map, they, they crossed westward into the promised land, they, depending on the number of people in their tribes, they were given allotments of land based on the size of their land. And they cast lots for all of this. And they divided up the land according to larger families and smaller families. And they, it all worked out. And you've seen that graphic that I've put up where it shows the different places in Israel where the tribes resided. Their boundaries were very well delineated in the Word of God based upon those calculations that God had given to Moses, or or to, excuse me, to Joshua and the elders. But the Levites didn't receive land in the Promised Land. They didn't receive a plot of land like the other tribes did. And... um, Because the Lord was their inheritance, but they did receive towns and villages within each of the 12 tribes to live and to keep their livestock. And so actually Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 8 and 9, it's a good thing to write in the side of your margin there in verse 53, but it says this, At that time the Lord separated, notice, the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless his name to this day. And therefore Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance. I like that. These men were well provided for. Do you know that? All the sacri- many of the sacrifices that were brought into Jerusalem as they would worship, there were portions of those sacrifices that were given. Meat, literally from cattle and from lambs and sheep. Hallelujah, right, Pastor Mark? The beautiful, you know... Um, you know, filet mignons and, you know, the sirloin tips and the ribeyes. These guys were getting really good cuts, and they would use it to survive on. That's what they did. That was their, uh, you know, their portion. And God would take the rest, and he would, they would offer it as sacrifices. And the Levites would receive a portion of that for them and their families because they were busy about God's business. They were busy about serving him. And he said, you, I am your inheritance, Levi. And therefore, I'm not going to give you land like the others, but I'm going to give you little towns in each of those little places where you can live. And then in the common lands around those cities, you're going to have to graze your livestock. Because you, I mean, if you're doing all these sacrifices, you need a lot of sheep, you need a lot of goats, and you need a lot of cattle. Hallelujah. Angus beef to the, to the full. You guys all smile. You've had Angus beef, right? Cab, certified Angus beef. Just had it on Father's Day. It was so beautiful. I actually cut it with a fork just because I could. It was so wonderful. Anyway, so maybe I'm part Levi. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm as Gentile as they, they go, unfortunately. 
But notice in verse 54, Now these are their dwelling places throughout their settlements in their territory, for they were given by lot to the sons of Aaron, of the family of the Kohathites. And they gave them Hebron in the land of Judah, with its surrounding common lands. Now, um, right in your margin after this verse, Numbers 35, Numbers 35, the book of Numbers, chapter 35, verses 1 through 8. And basically it just tells you, and, and we're going to skip over a lot of this, but in each of those 12 tribes, in, each, in all these little towns, in these 12 tribes, the Levites were given little towns here and there, and they were given the common lands, which was basically about 1,000 or 2,000 cubits outside of the city, of, of, of the cities that they were given. And they would use those lands for the grazing their livestock because you need lots of animals if you're going to sacrifice them. And so that's what they did. But the fields of the city and its villages they gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Does that sound familiar, that name? Remember Caleb and Joshua? They were the two whom Moses sent to spy out the land and they were the only two that came back with positive uh, a positive report and all the other 10 were, oh, it's too big and then there's giants in the land and it's just too hard. And those guys are like, let's go and take it now. Let's grab our swords and let's get at it. And those guys were the only two out of the 10 or the 12 that really had faith in what God had said. God said, go up, I'll give it to you. And they're like, if you said it, I believe it, that settles it. And the other ones are like, I don't think so. Those guys are nasty up there. You see that guy? He's got a pimple on his nose. He's got six fingers and six toes. And he's got bad breath and he's seven feet tall. He's ugly. And his mother looks just like him. The whole family's ugly. Even the dog. Ugly. Right? Verse 57, And the sons of Aaron, they gave one of the cities of refuge, Hebron, also Libna with its common lands. And when those common lands are speaking of that land around the city, going out a thousand or two cubits, and that would be farmland for them to graze their cattle. So whenever you see common lands, that's what it's speaking of. And Jatir and Eshtemoa with its common lands. Now, the cities of refuge that you see there in verse 57, and Hebron was one of them. Um, in Joshua chapter 20, Verses 7 through 9, there is a list of the cities of, of the cities and their locations that uh, corroborate uh, what we're uh, about to look at. Remember, the cities of refuge were given for the manslayer to protect himself from the avenger of blood when an issue of manslaughter occurred and it was when it was accidental. So the idea of a, of a city of refuge, and the, they were given six of them, Six on the east side of the Jordan River. I'm sorry, three on the, uh, on, the, on, on the east side of the Jordan River, three on the west side of the Jordan River. And the idea was, is if you were out swinging an axe and you and another guy are out there cutting down trees and the axe head, you go to do that and the axe comes off, hits the guy next to you, kills him, and he's dead, his family is going to be quite upset with you. So what they would do is they would create these cities for accidental manslaughter, you know, uh, things where you really didn't mean it. it. It happened by accident. So you could flee to one of these cities because you were the manslayer. It was an involuntary manslaughter. But now you've got all six brothers coming after you. And so they'd say, they set up these cities and they say, if you go to one of these cities, let the men of that city, one of these, and I'll name them here in a minute, 
You go to one of those cities, they're going to listen to your cause. They're going to basically judge what has happened. And if you indeed killed him in cold blood, then they're going to kill you. That's what the law says, right? An eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But if it indeed was involuntary manslaughter, then we're going to protect you here. And as long as you are in this place and you don't leave the walls of this city, you're safe. But if you leave the walls of this city at any time, the avengers of blood, the brothers... Of the man you killed, they come after you and they kill you. You've got it coming to you, pal. And so that man, that manslayer, would have to stay in one of those cities of refuge until the death of the high priest in Jerusalem. And then he was released to leave wherever he goes and no one was to lay a hand on him. And that was the way it goes. So on the east side, and this is, I wish I had my act together and I could have put this up for you, but on the east side of the Jordan River, Bezer, uh, Ramoth Gilead, and then Golan in Bashan, which is in the northeastern part of, of Israel, were considered three of those uh, cities of refuge. On the west side of the Jordan, Kadesh in Galilee, Shechem in the mountainside of Ephraim, and then Kirjath Arba, which is also called, the name has been changed to Hebron, that is also, um, and that's in the mountains of Judah, that was another of the other three um, of the uh, cities of refuge. Yes, thank you. And so, Going on to verse 60 here, it lists different men and their common lands, but in verse 60 it says, And from the tribe of Benjamin, Geba, with its common lands, and Alameth with its common lands, and notice Anathoth, underline Anathoth, with its common lands, all their cities among their families were 13. So Anathoth was not only a city of Benjamin, or Anathoth, excuse me, was a city in Benjamin that Jeremiah the prophet came from. That was his hometown there in, um, in that time, at that place. Because in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. In the land of Benjamin. And so this is the one. And so to the rest, verse 61, of the family of the tribe of, of the Kohathites, they gave by lot ten cities from half of the tribe of Manasseh. And the sons of Gershon, throughout their families, they gave thirteen cities from the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the tribe of Manasseh in Bashan. And to the sons of Merari, through their families, they gave twelve cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, from the tribe of Zebulun. And so the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands to the Levites, and they gave by lot from the tribe of the, of the children of Judah, from the tribe of the children of Simeon, from the tribe of the children of Benjamin, these cities which are called by their names. And now some of the families of the sons of Kohath were given cities as their territory from the tribe of Ephraim. And so um, now again, remember Elkanah because he was a, a Levite, but he lived in Ephraim. He was an Ephraimite, even though he was a Levite. And so, verse 67, and so they gave them one of the cities of refuge, Shechem, which is one I had just mentioned, with its common lands in the mountains of Ephraim, and also Gezer, there's another one, with its common lands. And then it goes down through, uh, you know, 68, verse 68, down through, really down through 77. 
And we'll just start in verse 77. From the tribe of Zebulun, the rest of the children of Merari were given Rimon with its common lands and Tabor with its common lands. And then verse 78. And on the other side of the Jordan, across the Jericho, notice on the east side of the Jordan, they were given from the tribe of Reuben, Bezer. And, and remember, Bezer was one of those three on the um, eastern side of the Jordan River. That's one of those cities of refuge. Bezer in the wilderness with its common lands. And let's go on and go into chapter 7 now. So in chapter 7, it lists the family of Issachar. In the family of Issachar, if you were to look at a map, they were located in the upper part of Israel, just uh, southwest of the Sea of Galilee. Galilee. So if you picture the Sea of Galilee, just a little bit southwest of that is where the family of Issachar was located. And the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali were immediately north of, of Issachar. And so it goes down, you know, the sons of, verse 1, the sons of Issachar were Tola and Pua. How'd you like to have a name like that? What's your name? Pua. And then Jashub and Shimron, four in all. And the sons of Tola were Uzai, Raphael, or Raphael, excuse me, Jeriel, uh, uh, Jamei, Jibsam, and Shemuel, heads of their father's house. The sons of Tola, notice, were mighty men of valor in their generations. Their number in the days of David, notice the, the number of these mighty men, 22,600. And then it goes down in verse 4, you know, and the sons of Uzziah with uh, Israhiah. And the sons of Israhiah were Mikael and Obadiah, Joel and Ishiah. All five of them were chief men. And with them, by their generations, according to their father's houses, were 36,000 troops ready for war. Notice this, ready for war. For they had many wives and sons. And now their brethren, verse 5, among all the families of Issachar were mighty men of valor, listed by their genealogies, 87,000 in all. An amazing number of people. And then we get into the family of Benjamin, and we, we hear about them. Now, Benjamin is going to be interesting because Benjamin is going to be the tribe that Israel's first king is going to come from. And who is, what is his name? Saul. Exactly. Not Saul in the New Testament. Saul, we know, is Paul. Saul of Tarsus. No, there was, certainly his name was Saul. But Saul, back in the Old Testament, was a Benjamite. And it lists uh, his genealogy from Benjamin. The sons of Benjamin, verse 6, were Bela and Becher and Jediael, three in all. And the sons of Bela were Esbon, Uzai, Uzael, Jeremoth, and Eri, five in all. And notice, they were heads of their father's houses, and they were listed by their genealogies. Notice, 22,034 um, mighty men of valor. No, isn't that interesting? You know, there are some that maybe they estimated, and this one was very, very precise. You know, 22,034. Think about that. I mean, they could have just said, you know, uh, 22,000. <laughs> but no, in this instance, they're like, no, there were 34 other guys. We know that. So we're going to write that. We're going we're gonna to write that down. And the sons of Beecher were uh, Zemer, Zemerah and Joash, Eleazar, Elioenei, um, Omri, Jeremoth, Abijah, Anathoth, there he is again, and, and Alamoth. And all these were the sons of Beecher. And they were recorded by genealogy according to their generations, heads of their father's houses. Notice, 20,200 mighty men of valor. And the sons of 
Jedael was Bilhan, and the sons of Bilhan were uh, a list of men there in verse 11. And all the sons of Jedael were heads of their fathers' houses. There were 17,200 mighty men of valor fit to go out to war and battle. And Shupim and Hupim were the sons of Ir, and Hushim was the son of Aher. And so think about these men ready for war. I mean, Israel was an incredible army when you put all of these brothers together. And you know, there's nothing that unites men together than when they all came from the same place and they know where they came from. You know, I, I, I think that's really wonderful. You know, it's like, a, you know, you don't mess around with brothers. And all of these men were brothers, and they knew where they came from. And there's something really beautiful about that. They had, everyone had a stake in their future and, and the promises that God had given to them. And they weren't going to let go of them. In fact, God had told them to keep their genealogies, be careful, keep everything right. And he would tell the men, don't be looking at that Moabite young lady. Don't look at that Canaanite young lady. Yes, she's you know, taunting you with her eyes and her eyelashes and her makeup and scantily clad clothing. Don't you do it. Stay away from that, right? Mama said there were girls like that. Stay away from girls like that. That's what my mama said to me. Rob, stay away from girls like that. Okay, mama. Stay away from it. <laughs> So the family of Naphtali, so the sons of Naphtali, verse 13, were Jaziel, Gunai, and Jezer, and Shalom, the sons of Bilhah. Now, remember Bilhah, she was the, um, Naphtali, excuse me, was the sixth son of Jacob through um, Bilhah. Remember, Bilhah was Rachel's maidservant. You can read about her in Genesis 35, verses 23 through 25, remember, because Rachel couldn't, she wasn't, she was, she was barren for a while. And so she would have uh, her handmaid go in to Jacob and Jacob would have relations with her and bear children and, you know, and, and that's how they did things. And then finally, um, when Rachel was able to have children, then she had uh, two children as well. And uh, it's really wonderful how that happened. But this Bilhah was Rachel's maidservant, and these were the sons um, who came from her. And then not notice now the family of Manasseh. This is the west side. So if you're looking at a map of Israel, the west side would be on the left side of the Jordan River. So the descendants of Manasseh on the west, his Syrian concubine bore him Maker, the father, or Meshir, the father of Gilead, and and, um, and the father of Asriel, and Makir, or Meshir, took as his wife the sister of Hupam and Shupam, Shufam, these are really interesting guys, whose name was Maacah. So the name of Gilead's grandson was Zelophehad, but Zelophehad begot only daughters. And uh, just a quick note about this, um, you can read about Zelophehad, you, you, if that name rings a bell to you, um, it's because there's, there's some interesting things written about them because this man only had girls. He didn't have boys. And so where does the inheritance go? How does it all work out? And so you can read about in Numbers, um, and, and I would encourage you to write these passages down just really quickly. It's in Numbers chapter 27, uh, verses 1 through 11. Again, Numbers 27, 1 through 11. And Numbers, again, in chapter 36, Verses 1 through 13. 
and also in Joshua chapter 17. It, it, it basically tells us what the dilemma that this was because property, land, was supposed to go to sons. But this man had daughters, and so basically God made a provision for them and that the, the inheritance would go to them, and it would stay within their tribe. Even if they got married to somebody else in another tribe, that, that land would still stay within their tribe. And that's how God made sure that they um, passed this land on from one generation to another within their tribes. It didn't go out outside. You know, nobody, like in America, you know, no, nobody from China would be buying land in the Mideast, buying up farmland. I'm sure that's not happening, is it? But anyway, so going on, let's just go down to uh, down now to verse 20. It says the family of Ephraim. So the sons of Ephraim were Shuthalah uh, and Bered his son, Tehath his son, Eladah his son, Tehath his son. And you know what's interesting about genealogy sometimes is you read the same name and, you know, it'll say Tela, and then it'll go down and it'll say Tela again. Obviously, just another person whose name was Tela. And usually names that were noble were, were given again to other people. And so it goes on, on and on, through the family of Ephraim. And so let's just go right down to verse 27, and we're getting close to the, let's see here. We're in chapter 7, and we're down to verse 27. Let's see here. Yes, we're almost done, and we're not going to get into chapter 8, but let's just finish this chapter really quickly. But notice, it gets down uh, through these different sons, going all the way down to verse 27, where it says, Nun, um, his son, and Joshua, his son. And so this was Joshua. This Joshua, in verse 27, was the Joshua that Moses sent to spy out the land in Numbers 13. You can read Numbers 13 of that event that occurred along with Caleb from the tribe of Judah. So this man was from the tribe of Ephraim, this um, Joshua. He would be the one who would write the book Joshua, and he would be the one that would be uh, the leader who would take the place of Moses, now leading the people of Israel into the promised land. And, um, and Joshua, it's interesting, uh, when they cross over into the promised land, what does Joshua do? He remembers what Moses did with him and Caleb by sending them out two by two, or sending out two. And so he sent out two men into Jericho to spy out Jericho. Remember that? And so I'm sure Joshua's thinking to himself, well, it was only Caleb and I who brought back a good report, so I'm just going to send two guys. They'll be stealth, and these guys will be light of foot. They can get in and out. Nobody will even know they're there, hopefully, and we can find out what's going on in Jericho. Because remember, that was the very first city that they would have to attack as soon as they crossed the Jordan. And in fact, if you go to Israel with us next year, we're hoping to go again, um, you see exactly what I'm talking about. You see where the Jordan River is in the Jordan Valley, and they cross that river, and right there is Jericho. I mean, it's ruins today, but you can get an idea of the space and the, and the amount of land that's in between when they crossed over, and that city was there, and that was the first thing they had to attack, and it was an amazing thing. So... In verse 28, now their possessions and dwelling places were Bethel and its towns to the east, Neron to the west, Gezer and its towns, and Shechem and its towns, as far as 
uh, Ayah and its towns. Verse 29, and the borders of the children of Manasseh were Bethshan and its towns. Underline Bethshan, because that's an interesting little town. And Teanach and its towns, Megiddo and its towns, Dor and its towns, and these dwelt the children of Joseph, the son of Israel. Now, Bethshan was the location, if you remember, where Saul, Israel's first king, after he was deposed, remember, he in that final battle, he was killed by the Philistines, and the Philistines took Saul's body and pinned it up on the wall of Bethshan. And this is one of the cities that we visit when we go to Israel, a fascinating town, um, they've done a lot of excavating there. It's really amazing. But Beth Shan uh, was actually moving forward in time during the Roman Empire. It became one of the Decapolis or one of the ten cities uh, in Israel that formed a Roman district. And it, they held to Greek thought and life and resisted the Jewish culture. Scythopolis is also another name for Beth Shan. And Beth Shan was the only one on the west of the Jordan River. So it was only one of the ten tribes, one of the only one of the ten that was on the western side of the Jordan River. All the other nine were on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And... Um, and again, we visit that place. So the family of Asher, the sons of Asher were Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, uh, Beriah, and their sister Sarah. And the sons of Beriah were Heber and Melchiel, who was the father of Birzaeth. And Heber begot Japhlet. And then it goes on and lists the names of the sons of Asher. And notice in verse 40. Going down to verse 40 here. It says, And all these were the children of Asher, heads of their fathers' houses, choice men, mighty men of valor, chief leaders, and they recorded, and they record and they were recorded by genealogies among the army, notice fit for battle, their number was twenty-six thousand. Twenty-six thousand. Quite an amazing venture, isn't it, going through this genealogy? But I, I find it very interesting, though, as we park on certain names and, and the, the, you know, just the interesting things about these certain individuals. And uh, next week, we're going to move even, uh, go even further. We'll uh, get into uh, chapter 8 and 9 and uh, possibly even into uh, to 10. And then after that, we're going we're gonna to get into some really comfortable territory. And we're going to get into the area which I'm really looking forward to, and that is the life of David. And it's going to be, like I said before, we're going to feel like we're back in Samuel again. Because this is where the chronicler is, is, is dying to get to. All of this was just to get us planted with David. And, that's, and then he's going to look at the line of David from David all the way. Actually, we're going to start with... Um, Saul, he's, he's, he's a Benjamite, but he was the first king of the united over all of Israel. But after um, his reign, it's just going to be David and then the Davidic dynasty from David all the way down to Zedekiah until they were taken captive. And it's going to be a wonderful ride. Uh, and again, my hope is to uh, spend some time, but not as much time as we did in First and Second Samuel and in Kings because a lot of this will be reviewed. There will be some new things that we'll learn along the way, but there's plenty of things for us to learn in this, life lessons and um, things that we can apply to our own life. So uh, thank you for being patient with me. I know I'm 10 minutes over. <laughs> if, 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 there, if there is a, is there a legal law about an hour? 
But I went 10 minutes over, so you can dock my pay, I guess. I'm only kidding. Hey, let's stand and let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you, Lord. Even, even going through this, Lord, it, it has been such a joy. And um, looking forward, no doubt, to parking uh, on the Davidic dynasty again. And Lord, the things that we will learn. But thank you for these men and, and, and these women. Lord, many of them are listed here as well, uh, but mostly the men. And, uh, and just pray that, Lord, we would, we would be able to learn something from the, these things as we go. And, Lord, just the significance of people. Lord, you, you don't see as anybody as, as a throwaway or as a cast-off. Lord, you look at every single person as a unique individual, and you love them, and you died for them, Lord, specifically for them, for us, for me, and for all my brothers and sisters here tonight, Lord. Would you just continue to encourage our hearts, bless our night, bless our day, and Lord, um, selfishly, I do pray as my in-laws are in the air as we speak, Lord, from Florida coming up, I pray that you give them safe traveling. Lord, just be the wings of their plane and allow them to arrive safely tonight at midnight. <laughs> and we just thank you. And thank you just for the body of Christ, Lord. I thank you for every person here. And Lord, those that even aren't here, Lord, we just, we love each other. We're so thankful for each other. And we love that you love us. Lord, help us to grow in love for others and, uh, and for yourself, Lord, for you, most importantly. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night.